Hey there, welcome back to the Silicon Sasquatch podcast. I'm Nick Cummings. Today we've got something a little different for you, and with any luck, it'll also mark the beginning of an exciting new project for us. The idea is pretty simple. It's a podcast miniseries that captures the broad and diverse range of people who helped define the game scene in Portland in the year 2017. And to that end, I'm planning to interview all kinds of people who contribute in some way to making Portland a unique place to play, make, share, critique, and celebrate games. So with that in mind, uh, you can consider this the pilot episode of that series. And if our first interview subject is any indication, I think there are a ton of great stories out there just waiting to be told. In this first episode, I chatted with Wick Perry, a Reed College grad and independent game developer who lives here in Portland. Wick is working on a game called Crescent Loom, which is a game about creating organisms and crafting neural circuits in a way that imitates the real-world structure of animal brains. Uh, I guess my game critic approach here would be to say, imagine something between Spore and Flow, but with an AI programming hook that more closely resembles something like uh, Final Fantasy XII's Gambit system, I guess, in a way. Except it's... Okay, well, I should probably just stop talking and let Wick explain it. (laughs) Uh, As as for the rest of the interview series, uh, I'm still figuring out some logistics, and I don't have a title yet. Titles are always the hardest part. But I hope this first interview gives you a sense for the tone and nature of the stories I want to help tell. Oh, uh, one other note. Uh, we recorded this interview in a crowded cafe, and unfortunately the background noise was a little too difficult to fully remove. Uh, I wanted to strike a balance with the end product that's as listenable as possible, but I know that there's also a constant thrum of coffee machines and clanging from espresso portafilters ringing through the background. So. Uh, Sorry for that. I'm looking into some more uh, subdued settings for future recordings, but your patience is much appreciated in the meantime. Anyway, that's enough from me. Uh, enjoy the interview. So yeah, tell me about tell me about this game you're working on. Okay, so my elevator pitch sure. is uh, that Crescent Loom is a game um, that kind of grew out of my neuroscience research in college, um, where I was studying how frog brains produce mating calls mm-hmm. um, and so it turns out that we have like these circuits in our brains and our spines that produce like certain like motor outputs so that's why you're able to like walk without thinking about it um, and there's not really a good way right now that for people to really um, like see how these systems work um, so like lots of neuronal simulation software is used in science mm-hmm. and it's like full of like tons of different windows and numbers and like I spent probably half a day trying to learn one once and it was just completely um, unmanageable. Overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I'm trying to make a game where you make neurons and make floppy creatures and like swim through an ocean and learn (laughs) neuroscience uh, is the general idea. That sounds a lot more accessible than like a massive, I don't know, uh, academic software library. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's cool. Um, and yeah, like so, I've seen you know video of the game you posted. I tried the demo, and it, I think you, you may have described it as like, sort of a combination of flow and spore in some senses. Yeah, and, and like Kerbal Space Program. Yeah, uh, was a big um, thing that I kind of it was building off of because in Kerbal Space Program, it's not like oh, like learn science like for your own like 
well-being. It's like, no, play this game and, like, see funny, like, green, wobbly cartoons, like, fly up into space and explode. Right. And then you happen to learn orbital, orbital dynamics, like, on the side. Right. I mean, that's, like, the true face of the scientific method anyway. It's just uh, the trial and error. Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, having that, like, really short turnaround time. So instead yeah. of having to spend, like, years, like, actually building a rocket, you can just hit spacebar and go back to the start. Cool. So you're going for that kind of iterative flow here mm -hmm. as well? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Where you, like, build a creature, it kind of, like, fail, flails around and, like, runs into a wall a couple times. You're like, oh, that's cute, but also I think I can do this better. Um, yeah. And so you kind of... I, I want to um, introduce concepts in the game gradually. So, like, in Kerbal Space Program, you gradually unlock new rocket parts mm -hmm. um, or, like, different um, ways to, like, make airplanes. Okay. Um, and that kind of, like, leads players into doing these really complicated things. Um, and so I'm trying to do the same thing here, where, like, you start out with maybe just, like, uh, an eye and a muscle. So, like, whenever the eye sees something, the muscle tenses. Okay. Cool. So what would you say, like, this might be jumping ahead a bit, but I'm curious, like, you know, because Kerbal Space Program is, I haven't spent a lot of time with it, but I've watched a lot of videos, I've read a lot about it. And it seems like there, there are several, like, major arcs to that game where the first thing you're trying to do is just get a rocket <laughs> into orbit. Like, just yeah. don't blow them up, don't fall over, just get it into space. Mm -hmm. But then you're up there, and then suddenly it's like, what do I do? I need to get back out of space, or I need to, like, you know, land it or something. Yeah. Like, so do you see, like... Do you have sort of like those bigger like inflection points in mind of like what you want the player to go through? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's been a lot more of a struggle just to get uh, creatures that are able to swim than right. I expected. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, I guess, like kind of the first step in it where like you try to get up into orbit. You try to just like make a creature that is able to move. Uh -huh. um, but I would like to have more environmental hazards, okay. like uh, say anemones or um, like predators that uh, like will like see you and then like approach and so you'll need to maybe start having escape reflexes mm. so if something is coming at you you need to like shoot a burst of ink um, and it's escape. Really cool. yeah. and, you know when you said that it kind of reminded me of when I think about like FDL and the strategy you mm -hmm. take when you're like deciding how to upgrade your ship and what to invest power into like you know is it suddenly it's no longer just about like direct damage it's like shields or it's other things so mm -hmm. it sounds kind of similar here where it's like you know what what mapping does my creature's brain need to have in order to like have both exploration and like you know defense or escape mm -hmm. one, one of my favorite um examples in actual science is uh so there's this group of cells in mouse uh, eyeballs in their retinas um that respond only to small black uh dots on a stationary background and so researchers are like what is this like this seems like completely useless in nature yeah like they couldn't find anything that it responded to until they realized that it was for birds, where it only would respond to like birds like moving in the sky above them. And so like mice have something hardwired into their brains to recognize like a specific thing in their environment. So they've responded and evolved. Um, so it's not like brains are just these general purpose things. Like brains are for specific animals in specific contexts. Um, and oh, that's so so interesting. Yeah, isn't it? Um, <laughs> And so, like, for this, uh, I'm going to have, like, maybe a smaller um, objective that you're trying to do. So, like, just try to get to this new section of the ocean or try to get uh, over here and uh, take a biological sample of this animal. Mm -hmm. And so you'll have to custom make a creature for that specific objective. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this one's deep. This is interesting. Oh, man. Um, 
How complicated do you see these organisms getting? Like, I know that there's kind of a fixed area for the neural mapping that you can mm -hmm. fill out, but is that something that expands at some point? Or? Yeah, so okay. um, there's been a couple games. So the names are escaping me right now, but there are these old games where you uh, would wire up like circuits to control robots, mm -hmm. and then you could save a circuit with like some inputs and outputs, and then import it into other circuits. Oh, okay. And so then with that, you can kind of like make subunits and potentially like expand your brain endlessly. Um, kind of the way that people program other games into Minecraft eventually by just creating repetitive circuits. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Cool. Um, and so I'm definitely, like right now the kind of like uh, circuit board for the neurons is mm. small, but that's because there's not a lot of things to do in the game besides swim around. And um, I have a couple like small objectives that show the basic interface of the game. Okay. Um, but that only requires like less than a dozen neurons. Okay. That sounds, you know, in terms of brains, that's pretty simple. So. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Um, um, in, in terms of perspective, this one of the simplest uh, animal brains that have been studied is uh, this type of flatworm called C. elegans. Okay. And it only has 309 neurons in its entire body. Wow. Um, and that's enough for it to, like, swim forward, swim backwards, like, respond to stimuli, find food, escape predators, um, respond to light. Uh, wow. And so you can get a lot of like uh, kind of like emergent behavior with I mean a pretty small set of neurons that's really interesting mm -hmm. like thinking about that from an engineering perspective too like mm -hmm. the idea of like an organic creature that just has like 300 some neurons it's I don't know that, that almost seems like something you could simulate with a high degree of accuracy if you really wanted to go for it so. I think there have been a couple projects to simulate the C. elegans brain because mm. people are like okay this is a simple enough animal yeah we can do this <laughs> um, but of course like even with only 309 neurons we still don't understand every single thing about C. elegans right it's not like we understand that you know all these processes mm -hmm. in exhaustive detail right mm -hmm. I mean you're the expert here not me <laughs> no no we, we definitely don't we know yeah. a lot but like mm -hmm. we also don't know anything um, hmm. Yeah. So, um, so tell me a little bit about how, um, like, is this a game that you've always wanted to make, or is this something that kind of, you know, really, or maybe in some capacity it's been interesting to you, but, or did it really just come to light as a part of your, your research and your study at uh, Reed? Yeah, so it's, it did kind of, I got the idea while doing research, where hmm. I'm trying to learn how these circuits work. Um, in, in a lot of cases, there will be like diagrams where it says, okay, these, it shows three neurons and like mm -hmm. three of them will be, or two of them will be dark and the other one will be light. And then it says, okay, this, then this one's active. And then like it shows it kind of like step by step and panel by panel. Okay. And it's really hard to visualize. Right. Um, so I wanted to make something that I could watch with my own eyes. Cool. In order to understand. Interesting. Um, this is just a weird question, but I'm curious. Uh, are you thinking about like how far can you take the complexity of this? Like you know, you mentioned you know layering multiple circuits and things. Like, are you are you kind of curious or you, uh, how deep this rabbit hole goes? Or are you trying to like you know maintain a, a very fixed vision of like let's just you know maintain the scope of the game and then go from there? <laughs> I think you just like nailed it exactly. So I do have all of these like secret fantasies of being like okay, like maybe we can start like using this kind of like neural language to program robots. Yeah. Um, and move it into the real world or. If we like start to understand the basics here, um, we can just like keep building up and building up and make something like C. elegans, and then yeah. like maybe like a frog, and then maybe like a human. Because I think like the artificial intelligence 
efforts that I'm seeing right now. Um, where we're seeing like lots of self-driving cars, we're seeing Siri, we're seeing Cortana, yeah. like all these things that kind of like simulate intelligence. Like if we don't understand how 309 neurons work and see aliens, like we have no chance of understanding it in humans. Right. Um, and so like I'm kind of like trying, because so like I do want to work on artificial intelligence mm -hmm. eventually. I think we need to start basic and start small um, and kind of get more public understanding of how brains and neurons work because I feel like a lot of people have this kind of general idea of what like neurons are where yeah. they say oh yeah my synapses are firing I'm feeling like really motivated today yeah but, like they don't know what that means no um, and it's not that complicated like on a certain like certain levels at least and so that's what I'm trying to show people I think that's a, a great point you know like I, I'm one of those people who doesn't fully understand what it means when I say like my synapses are firing like uh -huh. you know I just assume that means it's oh I'm active or my brain is like <laughs> you know whatever it's mm -hmm. it's a really weak analogy for me mm -hmm. and uh, I, I find you know when it comes to understanding really complex things um, I think that there's value in approaching it from both ends like the really high level like you know the teams of you know the swarms of engineers all working on Siri are all working mm -hmm. on like self-driving cars on the other end of like, you know, let's start with the very basic building blocks, you know, the 309 neuron, mm. uh, you know, creatures we found. And like, let's, you know, let's start with just modeling the very basic concepts of what we understand life and, you know, stimulus and response to be. Mm -hmm. And um, I think somewhere in the middle is how we get to the answer, perhaps. So, um, yeah, I, I, all, all this is to say that I think that I would get a lot more out of playing a game like this than, mm -hmm. you know, reading a a huge case study on exactly how, you know, <laughs> Tesla's programming its cars to, you know, I don't know if you've seen those models of like, you know, should the car swerve to hit these people or let, and let the yeah, people yeah. In the, you know, car die or what? It's like really high level. Yeah, stuff. like, like what is the mathematics of like who to try to protect? And mm -hmm. it's like, you know, that's an interesting question, but I feel like it's, I feel like it's almost like skirting around some of the basic questions like what is intelligence mm -hmm. in a weird way. It's like it's not. I don't think it's, well, I mean, actually, this is a good question for you. Um, do you think it makes sense to make models as clear-cut as, like, you know, save this group or save this group, or like, is actual, like, intelligence, like, a little more fuzzy than that? Well, the way that I understand intelligence, I saw this great TED Talk a while ago where this guy was talking about how brains are for producing movement. Um, hmm. And humans have you know kind of hacked this in a way where they have like a lot of stuff in between like inputs and outputs okay um and so i feel like for to say like oh is this thing intelligent or not um like i don't think that there is like a general intelligence i like, can't just like have a computer that's thinking and being like oh i'm running 10,000 simulations of this thing and like this is my answer like that's not right how like intelligence works it's like the sci-fi idea yeah the star trek computer type. Uh -huh. yeah um like you need to have a body to have a brain right. is my strong opinion okay um and so if you ask like what is intelligence like i guess i'd answer it like with a question like well like what are you trying to do like what's the body what's the context right um hmm I like that model. It fits your game, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, fancy that. Yeah, convenient. <laughs> cool. Um, so, curious to learn a little bit more about, like, what got you into um, making games and programming in general. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, being who I am, I read your bio on your site, like, uh -huh. learned a little bit more about that. But, you know, what kind of, what kind of drove you to want to make games? I guess 
I kind of so I grew out in, up in the country um, mm-hmm. where like there weren't a lot of places to go so a lot of my childhood maybe too much of it was spent on computers playing games mm-hmm. um, and I think at one point I just found a like game programming for teens like with a Z <laughs> book at like Goodwill awesome. and it had, it had like this demo for this like programming language called uh, Blitz Basic huh. um, and so I picked it up and just started making games and then um, I had a I was in a really small public school mm-hmm. um, so like 50 people were in my graduating class so oh, the, wow. t- the teachers were nice enough to be like okay like you want to make like a video game for this assignment that's fine so I was like haha I get to make games <laughs> instead of like writing papers um, and so it was just kind of like a hobby through um, until college when I ran my first Kickstarter for Rubicon cool um, and I still didn't really know what I was doing. It was kind of a project thing, like, oh, I've never finished a game before. I'll ask for, like, a couple thousand dollars to do that, because the internet will reward me, because I don't know, <laughs> like, just really what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, like, there's, like, kind of, like, a fair amount of privilege going into that. Um, and so... I don't know. I feel like kind of learning how to make games and like make a lifestyle of it has coincided with my development as like being more socially aware. Um, Interesting. And so that kind of leads into like my current like passion and idea instead of just like making exploding spaceships, which are like great. And I think I did some interesting stuff with it Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like how game narratives are structured and um, kind of like unreliable narrators. I want to move more into things that make people's lives like measurably better mm-hmm. um, besides just like escapism which like that is good by itself in a lot of cases mm-hmm. um, but yeah I want to like have more of an impact on the world yeah no it's I mean we were talking before I started recording about this but like that's something that um, you know I feel in my own that's like the big challenge I'm trying to overcome in my own games is like I have all these ideas about, you know, what does it mean to be in a just society and what does it mean to, you know, you know, when we think about actual like role playing in a game, like not just like, you know, I'm not talking like wizards with sta- like staffs and magic and stuff. I'm uh-huh. talking about like, you know, you you inhabit a character who is perceived by this world in certain ways. Like what what are the real how can that be used as like a teaching tool or how can that can be used as like um, I guess a more kind of like an experience you can take something away from. Mm-hmm. So that's anyway. Mm-hmm. Point being, it's been on my mind a lot. Too, yeah. So and I think something interesting about games is that even if they're not specifically designed to like change your way of thinking, they can. So my favorite story um, about like kind of uh, that involves this comes from Assassin's Creed, hmm. um, where I was playing the first Assassin's Creed, or like running around like killing guards by like the truckload. Yep. And then something happened that I'd never seen before, where one of the guards. Uh, decided to run away um, and hmm. so I was like oh that's kind of cool so like I chased him um, and I eventually cornered him in this alley and like he dropped his knees and like begged for his life and like this big button like popped up and started flashing like press like B to kill and so like I did it and so like then this like animation like with the assassin like looking all cool like while well, like he just like murdered this innocent person yeah um, popped up and I looked at myself afterwards I said like what have I done like there's no narrative justification for this. I felt like just like a dog chasing like a car. Like am I just like that susceptible to like what's being presented to me? Yeah. And I don't know, like I've been doing a lot of thinking from that moment of trying to like be more aware of what I'm responding to 
and like having more of like an internal moral compass almost. Yeah. Um, and it was cool because like in a video game, there's no like real life consequences right. for being like, oh, I murdered a guy, now I'm going to jail. Um, and I was able to learn that through a game like about killing people that I don't think was designed to change people's way of thinking, but did right. for me. It's you know it's interesting. We've, I'm sure you've heard like the term little narrative dissonance tossed mm-hmm. around a lot. And I think it's it means different things to different people, but there is that weird tension I think between you know the nihilism of a game of like you know none of this is real. Mm-hmm. It's all a simulation. And in the case of Assassin's Creed, it's a single player game. You're offline. Nobody's going to know. There's no like meter in the game. It's like you know how much of like a horrible person are you that takes up when you do that. It's just like. It's an inconsequential action, and yet it completely can, you know, in your case, like shape and change the way you think about actions and games and like that mm-hmm. kind of communication. Uh, I, you know, I've definitely thought a lot about that too. Um, I think I forget who it was, but one of the, your uh, reviews on Silicon Sasquatch was about a newer Assassin's Creed um, about freeing slaves. Oh yeah, it was the uh, Black Flag expansion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and like there was like a slavery like free meter where like you just got points for freeing slaves and it ended up like commodifying them. Yeah, it was literally just a currency for progression, mm-hmm. from what I understand. Yeah, that kind of isn't that just like so deeply troubling on a level. It's like, so messed up. Yeah, and like that's like such a like striking example of like if you're trying to make a game that like rewards like being good like it can backfire like so completely right it's all about the tone and presentation right mm-hmm. and it's such a delicate thing that i think so many especially big studios who are so risk averse and are so like you know designed by committee i think it's extremely hard for them to even attempt to do things like that so on the one hand i want to like congratulate those games that do try to like i don't know be even just like moderately socially progressive in some mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. but they are so often like just don't know how to do it that mm-hmm. it just falls apart like it's kind of a good thing but also a real sad state of affairs that one of the most progressive games I can think of lately is Overwatch which mm. is a game that barely has any narrative it's all like just you know but they've made an effort to make the character designs as diverse and inclusive as possible which you know granted is it's not perfect but mm. they've really tried to you know represent different cultures different personalities you know different races all you know gender identities and like in a way that you don't really see in big budget games but still compared to like Go play a game about like anthropy, or like go mm-hmm. check out any of like, you know. My favorite example is uh, Nikki Case. Um, is this uh, creator who's been making games about systems? Mm-hmm. So like uh, how um, different communities uh, can segregate into uh, like people like yourself, um, and kind of like showing the dynamics behind that, and using games as a medium for showing these dynamic systems. Um, mm-hmm. Or there's another one about that I played recently um, that was about like we become what we perceive, where it's just like the short five-minute game where you take pictures of stuff, um, and then like the game zooms out and shows the picture that you took on a TV screen, um, and then people copy what's on the TV screen. They're like, oh, this is what the world is like, and then like mm. it just starts to spiral out of control, and you can like see these positive feedback loops. Um, oh, I see. Really strikingly, so like. I think there are a lot of good examples these days. It sounds like a really good metaphor for what's happening with like, you know, social networking isolation oh and like gosh, you know, the feedback loops that people yeah. are stuck in. Yeah. Oh man, that's like, <laughs> that sounds so cool. Uh, people are doing good work out there. It's good. I, I mean, I, I hope it gets more recognition because it's, even still, like, I feel like it's really hard to find good sources that cover these games in depth, you know. But 
I guess that's you know ostensibly what I'm trying to do. Yeah. So <laughs> hey. I, guess I just need to keep working. And turns out that even if you just like make it the best game in the world, but like you don't do a good job communicating it to the world, yeah. Like it doesn't matter. So I feel like this sort of stuff that you're doing is like almost more important than like making the games. Oh, it's themselves. completely not. But thank you for I, saying. I mean, I, I think it is like getting the word out, and like because people like turn to distribution channels like yours to kind of see like what's going on in the world because it's so hard to kind of sift through all of just like the noise yeah um, so like you taking something putting it up on a pedestal i mean it's like <laughs> essential to this kind of thing taking off well i hope you're right because that's um I, I think you are but you know it's it's nice to be reminded like oh wait this actually might be important to do so uh -huh. <laughs> you know you know, to be honest, like when I look at like how I spend my time, like because obviously it's on my mind a lot. It's like, am I making the most of this time, mm -hmm. uh, or am I squandering it by I don't know, playing Assassin's Creed Seven? <laughs> um, even though I know I hate those games, I still play them, uh, mm -hmm. which is a really a whole other story. Uh, but you know, um, it's like you know, should I be making games? Or should I be talking to people who make games? Mm -hmm. like, where, where can I add the most value? Mm -hmm. And so, um, I guess. The short version is thanks for doing this interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to take a step back though and ask you about um, some other. You know, we, we talked about games that are trying to, you know, have a lasting positive impact on people. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some other examples you've seen recently that you feel like have done a really good job of this? Well, again, like I keep going back to Nikki Case. I'm, really, okay. I'm, I'm a sure. huge Nikki Case fanboy. Um, but what are some other ones? Um, I, I wish I just like could name drop them. I mean, there's the classic ones like Depression Quest. Yeah. Um, Zoe Quinn. Hmm? Zoe yeah. Quinn, right? By Zoe Quinn. Yeah. Uh, there's been a couple good ones um, that actually come out of Portland um, recently. Oh. Um, names of them escape me, of course. <laughs> um, but like, uh, I've seen like some games talking about people's um, like own experiences, like uh, dealing with like mental health issues. Mm -hmm. um, It's okay. We can edit this in post yeah. or something. Okay. Or I'll find some links later. But, you know, it's it's good to see. Because, like, I feel like Depression Quest made a big splash, you know, maybe not always for reasons that were positive, you know, when it came mm -hmm. out. Uh, but I think it's a great example of, you know, using games to really, you know, we mentioned role-playing. Like, really mm -hmm. play the role of somebody who is, you know, your protagonist, you're dealing with this, like, you know, really this, like, intangible antagonist that inhibits you at every stage. And, like, mm -hmm. I think that there's a real power in when people voluntarily put themselves into a system, that's really, I think, what play is, is voluntarily engaging in the system. Mm -hmm. um, not to get into a debate about what the definition <laughs> of play is, but that's just a yeah, that's endless slope. ivory tower. Yeah, I don't want it. Angels on the head of a pin. Exactly. So, but, you know, I think that that's one way to look at it, and I think that, you know, there's value when people voluntarily submit themselves to participate in the system, because mm -hmm. they're more open, I think, to the experience and to the lessons of it, so. Mm -hmm. I think that's where... I think that makes the medium of, of games like that much more important to tell these kind of stories and to create these systems, these simulations in. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you know, there's that's why I think there's value in like you know the concept of the game you're working on too. Like, I'm not. I mean, I, I was terrible at biology. Or not terrible, but you know, I didn't like yeah. go too far with it. But you know, I think it's fascinating. You know, how decisions are made and how. Uh, we respond to our environment and to just, just extrapolate a tiny piece of my own experience going into like this little simulation where I can you know program this organism and you know 
try connecting things in different ways and like I do horrible things with muscle structure <laughs> just for the hell of it I think is really edifying uh, uh -huh. you know that's I don't know exactly what I'm going to take away from it and I you know hopefully you know I'll get a chance to find out sooner than later mm. um, but um, I think there's just you know there's something really cool about th there's a there's a message to a game like that existing that is different from like the space shoot 'em up that you mentioned mm -hmm. or like you know the next Call of Duty, which is like you know what those games, or like let's say Call of Duty for example, mm -hmm. I, I feel like it lost whatever message it was trying to convey so long ago that it's mm -hmm. just purely become like a modern arcade game, which you know this isn't meant to be disparaging, it just means mm -hmm. like you know, this is purely you know stimulation mm -hmm. and not really like compelling you know. There's not really a, a thought process going on in the player, like you know, considering the actions and the purpose of it. Mm -hmm. I think. So. Yeah, and that's something that I was trying to do in Starship Rubicon, mm -hmm. um, the first game, where uh, I mean, it, it's pretty obvious from the get-go that the this AI computer that's telling you what to do is an unreliable narrator, mm -hmm. um, where it's like saying like destroy all the enemies, like, but like giving you these same sorts of like mission prompts, like. In Call of Duty, we're saying go here, do this. Go here, do this. Oh yeah. Um, but like doing it in a way that kind of like teaches you to distrust that, and That's then cool. start to think for yourself. Hmm. Um, That's really cool. I uh, did you ever play Spec Ops: The Line? I have read many re <laughs> like reviews of it. That's probably yeah. enough then. But yeah, like yeah. that's a game that teaches you just to not trust the narrator, the mm -hmm. mission objectives, anything. I and mean, there's nothing you can really do about it very mm -hmm. much. But I think there's you know. It succeeded in the way that I think Bioshock tried to and failed, mm -hmm. where it's, you know, that game was all about unreliable narrators and player agency, mm -hmm. and then for some reason they made two more of them <laughs> to tell the same story, but, um, yeah, there's something, I think, compelling about subverting expectations in that way and, and causing the player to really have a sort of internal conflict that's separate from the game. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if that's exactly what you're going for, but... Uh-huh, yeah, I am. I was just having a conversation with this about, um, actually... Avatar The Last Airbender versus the sequel Korra, mm -hmm. where um, I feel like a lot of the times, the reason that I'm like not a big fan of Korra is that they play kind of the tropes straight, where it's saying, okay, this person, like there's a traitor somewhere, and oh, it was the person who was like the detective. Oh. Like, what a big surprise. Right. Um, but like, I like things like in Avatar, the first one, that kind of like give people more credit. Mm -hmm. um, we're saying, okay, we're going to present you with something and like have some kind of like, uh, what's it, ironic drama? Or there, there's like the different types of um, irony. Dramatic irony. That's right, the right, one. right. Where like the thing that is on screen, like you're not completely, like it's not expecting you to like completely believe everything that it's saying. Like there's stuff that's more unsaid. Okay, um, yeah. And I want to see more of that in games Me too. instead of just like being a robot and following instructions. Yeah, and my hope is that most people who play games are starting to realize like the limitations of those I would say kind of simpler tropes, mm -hmm. where you know once you've played enough shooters that have the same follow the waypoint, shoot the guys, yeah, you know, duck behind cover. <laughs> uh, you, you kind of start to wonder, you know, what's the purpose in still doing this? Like, you know, the, <laughs> sure, you know, we talked about escapism. There, that has value, you know, certainly, especially during times of turmoil, escapism is, like, essential for survival. But, mm -hmm. um, 
See, no, now I'm on a shooter game where, like, the protagonists ask themselves this, like, while going around and shooting stuff. So it's, like, they duck behind cover and then it's like, what am I doing with my life? And then, like, have a discussion, like, while bullets are flying over their heads. I'd love to see that. That'd be great. Oh, I imagine if it's, like, a like a Phoenix Wright-style court game taking place in their head, like, you know, what am I doing? I shouldn't do this. Like, no, you should. And, uh -huh. yeah, that's, that's a great way to make a shooter. I'll obviously pitch that right away. <laughs> um, cool. So... Uh, do you mind if we shift gears a little bit? Yeah, sure. Cool. So, curious to hear, and this is a question I like to ask a lot of people because nobody has a very, I hear a lot of different answers, but um, what is Portland like for you as a place to make games? Okay, so the first time that I connected with anybody else ever making games was here in Portland mm -hmm. uh, with the Portland Indie Game Squad. Um, I met somebody through Kickstarter who was like, oh, there's like this meeting of like 30 people who, in one of like PSU's classrooms, you should come by. Oh, cool. And then like, they just spent an hour like talking, or Will Lewis especially, like, would oh, yeah. just like say, okay, what's like going on in games this week, like locally? Um, and I guess it's been really gratifying to see that build up over the last couple of years. Now like there's a couple hundred people who like show up at like a lot of the events. Um, so I feel like you can't really talk about games in Portland without talking about that, especially since we don't have any like really big industries. Right, yeah. um, but I think more and more people from Pig Squad um, that I'm running into are making like kind of connections with uh, larger like corporations that have more money and resources. So there's this um, Cartoon Network game jam. Yeah, um, yeah, I saw that. Ago. Yeah, and then like the winning teams like are now making games for Cartoon Network. That's pretty um, cool, because like, they've actually, Cartoon Network has a reputation for some really cool games. Like They've been at the mm -hmm. forefront of a lot of web stuff, and now they're like even on Steam, so mm -hmm. it's pretty cool. And I guess like culturally, though, like what is Portland like? Um, I mean, we're like a hotbed of like liberalism, like one of the like three countries now, or the three uh, states in the country that like have democratic legislatures. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> Re, world on fire, <laughs> yeah. by the way, in the background of all of this. So like, I guess like, I'm excited to see like, what games come out of this kind of culture and environment. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping to like, be part of that. Yeah, I think it's great. You know, like, I, you know, clearly in doing this podcast series, I have sort of some expectations and hypotheses I want to see confirmed. But the biggest thing I want to do is just kind of figure out what the scope and the lay of the land is of like, you know, what are the people here? What are they doing? What do they aspire to? And what, what do they want to see this community become? And um, I, you know, as someone, you know, I lived, I grew up around this area. Um, mm -hmm. I moved away for a few years and then came back. And in that time I was gone, Pig Squad just erupted into this thing. Of, like, uh -huh. Suddenly everyone wants to make games. And <laughs> the Global Game Jam here in Portland that they sponsored sold out in like, I don't know, an hour or something? Half Whoa. an hour? And like, yeah. I couldn't even go this year because of it. And I was like actually kind of happy about that. Well, sad, obviously, because I like the Bowl Game Jam. Yeah, but, but happy that it's doing so well. There's a scene here, yeah, and that's, mm -hmm. that's important. Um, before living here, I was in Seattle for a year, and there is an indie game scene there, too. I used to go to a meetup for that mm -hmm. pretty often, but it's, um, 
it was very different feeling in the sense of like most people had day jobs that were they were all engineers they mm. did this just to like you know unwind because they wish they could be making games but mm. weren't and there wasn't a whole lot of like emphasis on the community there was mm. networking but not really this sort of <laughs> um, and there were it sort of changed before I left like um, have you heard of um, Centris uh, it's a game yes by, yeah, yeah Samantha the music Coleman. game right? yeah yeah so you know she helped organize this really cool I don't know if it was like monthly or every other month but there was like a indie game exhibit slash like meetup thing at this cool mm. venue I used to go to on Capitol Hill and like there were little things like that that started to pop up but nothing with quite the the numbers or force of pig squad in terms of like that let's make stuff kind mm. of approach like and here you know will Lewis you know obviously is still working like <laughs> like there's no tomorrow to like make events and stuff I'm like you know it's great I went to a went to an event recently that was like you show up meet people and then you have four hours to like create a game hmm. from scratch Whoa. Right? or like it's like a game oh, the, the half jam yeah the half jam yeah, yeah. yeah so you don't actually like have to program anything but you can start yeah. to if you want and like that was just such a fun experience like mm. you got all these different people and I, the group I was with like half had never worked on the game at all and half had you know done other kinds of stuff with games and see that that's the thing that I'm excited about with Portland because like a lot of people that I've met through Pig Squad like they're not tech people they're artists or like they have day jobs like working completely unrelated things so like I was a scientist yeah um and so you're able to get like all of these different kind of perspectives instead of just like Silicon Valley code monkey, um, which like okay. So I should say that I've never actually gone to like any kind of like communities in any other cities. So I, I don't really have any kind of perspective what other places are like. Um, so it's hard to say like what Portland is, makes yeah. Portland special. Um, but I guess like I'm just excited to see what people make. Me too, yeah. And like, you know, I've, I've tried to travel around a fair bit. I know, you know, I've been to GDC and I went to um, a couple of little like off the beaten path events there. Mm -hmm. Like um, uh, Brandon Boyer's uh, Venus Patrol site, which is like one of the coolest, like, I guess it's like the, basically the aesthetic meme, but for video game stuff, it's like just super cool video game aesthetic website. Um, what, what do you mean by that? Like it's, I don't know if it's still doing running or whatever, but Venus Patrol is like, just a collection of really cool like game art and like you know just little like slices of like the visual aesthetic of like mm. cool things happening in games um anyway he like sponsored a party there where like there are a bunch of indie developers like um the year i went christine love was there showing off the interstellar selfie station which was like the coolest it's like the Game Boy camera but like for selfies it was it was a cool event. um i'm kind of going on a wild tangent here <laughs> but um there, what I'm trying to say is there are scenes that pop up everywhere, but I think that what we have in Portland is unique from what I've seen in that it's very much drawing from people from all different walks of life mm -hmm. and different paths. And I almost feel like the outlier is the one who's like going to game jams and being like, okay, so I can do some programming. And like that's kind of cool because like, A, you know, mm -hmm. they're strapped for programmers. I'm not the best programmer, so I like yeah. suddenly feel useful. Yeah. <laughs> and B, you know, you get to see a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different ideas, um, mm -hmm. which is... I think essential for creative growth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, I, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> TLDR. Yeah, yeah, that was a wild, wild path I went on there. But anyway, um, where do you? Um, let's just hypothetical here. Um, where do you hope to see like the Portland game scene develop into in like three to five years? Like, what do you? You know, there's. 
the, let me frame the question a bit. So, you know, I, what I'm seeing, you know, I, I work in the tech industry I have for mm-hmm. a long time, and what I'm seeing is a lot of a continued push of like Silicon Valley tech companies expanding up to Portland and, you know, creating more and more, you know, usually operations and support type jobs, but also some like, you know, engineering, design, um, that kind of stuff. So there's kind of this still steady growth of like, let's just create Portland as another hub to support this bigger, you know, massive juggernaut of the Silicon Valley, you know, tech empire. <laughs> um, and then you have Portland, which is like, Portlandia is ruining everything here. We used to be like, you know, we're losing our culture a bit. Or, you know, I, I don't know if I agree with that statement necessarily, mm-hmm. but you know, there's a, I, w- I would say there's a battle of old Portland versus new Portland and like the Bay Area influence versus like the traditional, like we're just a bunch of weirdos who like to brew beer. Um, hmm. And I guess I'm kind of curious, like, what do you hope to see the game scene look like in five, ten years from now here? Jeez. I feel like I have, like, such a limited perspective of it, like, just, like, me mostly working alone mm-hmm. or, like, with one or two other people, like, not seeing kind of the stories of how these things usually go. It's not a fair question. I'll just <laughs> put that out there. Um, well, I mean, ideally, if I was just, like, making things up, being like, oh, like, what would I love to see? Yeah. Um, I want to see people who aren't programmers making games, I think, and I want to see that be accepted and, like, kind of form the core of the community. I mean, I don't think anybody here, like, wants to be just, like, another arm of the, like, Silicon Valley empire, like you said. No. Um, but on the other hand, it would be cool to get, like, the, those kinds of resources in here to, like, enable games like mine to, like, or people like me um, to work on games and be able to like financially support ourselves because like artists deserve to have like make a living like a living wage yeah uh-huh. absolutely and it's just so hard to do that um and so i mean i guess i'm just like rephrasing your question where it's like there is this pull of like having money and resources and having like artistic freedoms yeah um and kind of like cultural like independence um and i don't know how to <laughs> resolve that. I want both. Yeah, I mean, short of just total socio-economic upheaval and, like, yeah. you know, it's it's tough to figure out how to get there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't have an answer to that question either. Uh, I definitely, I want to say that the point you mentioned about, like, you want to see non-programmers making games, mm-hmm. that really resonates with me because I feel like I've constantly been at odds in my own life of, you know, I like programming. I'm lucky to be one of those people who, like, is interested in it and mm-hmm. likes getting better at it. Um, I've always enjoyed like logic in general, but mm-hmm. um, I've always felt like it's held up as this gold standard. If you're not a game, you can't make games unless you can like write, you know, complex algorithms in C. Like, it, so like the really exciting thing here are things like um, uh, what's what's it? The jeez, uh, I interrupted you, then I forgot like the name of it. But the Twine, Twine, Twine that's it. Yeah. Um, so tools like Twine. Um, where it's just you have like these blocks of text and connect them um, or things like Scratch where it's like yeah. again like um, like visual programming yeah. you have all these tools these days that like make it so you don't have to program things in like C Sharp in totally. order to like make games I mean like computers are still terrible and programming is like is the soul sucking like activity yeah um, it really is <laughs> <laughs> but like it's like, I guess I'm excited to see more tools like that um, mm-hmm. being available and also kind of like more of a player culture developing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I'd love to see like 
say, an arcade for indie uh, developers oh, yeah. to submit. So something like, um, I don't know, like you, a cafe, like where you, like, you go down and like sit and play like local indie games. Um, or I'd like to see like local uh, game bundles, like a, a Portland oh, yeah. indie bundle on like the Humble Store or something. I would love to see that. That'd be so cool. Um, I wonder if I could tie that into this project. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's funny. Like, I never thought of an indie game arcade, but like when I was in, I lived in Austin, Texas for a while, and uh, there's an indie game scene there that was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a little arcade machine that was in this really cool like comic shop I used to go to, and mm-hmm. it was called the Texatron, and it was just Texas uh, indie games on this arcade machine, like a multi-game-in-one kind of machine. So they had like Super Crate Box was there, mm-hmm. um, Cannibal because, uh, you know, Adam Saltzman used yeah. to live in Austin. Huh. Um, so just a bunch of these, like, it was just a standalone arcade machine, and all you could play were games that were built, like, within a few hundred miles of where you were standing. It was a really cool concept. And there's something like that here, too. Um, there's a project called uh, Tinderbox, oh. I think. Um, and they've come and set it up at a couple things. And then I think they mostly have Game Jam games on it. Okay. Um, I wonder if Ground Control will want to host something like that. Oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> They're expanding. Might be the time to ask. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, yeah, I I hope that's the future we're moving towards. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, really, I don't know. I don't want to be the guy who, like, gets the last word on this podcast, so I'm just going <laughs> to shut up. But, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the future I want to see here. So. Um, so, speaking of last words, is there anything else you wanted to cover? Or any, like, last questions, thoughts, ruminations? <laughs> if you like indie games, pay for them. Oh, yeah, yeah, don't pirate stuff. Yeah, That's or or just like go find somebody on Patreon and like throw them a dollar or two a month. Um, it doesn't cost a lot, and it means the world to us. I think that's that's great advice. Like that's something that people don't I think realize is it's terrifying from a creative angle, from a social angle, from a financial angle to put yourself mm-hmm. out there and say, hey, I'm going to be doing this work, and I need support to do it. Mm-hmm. It makes a world of difference, I think, to get out and support those creators whose mm-hmm. voices you feel make an impact. So I'm going to second that notion. You should go do that. Great. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, um, yeah, I guess uh, that's pretty much... Oh, why don't you give one more pitch for your game? And uh, when does the Kickstarter end? The Kickstarter ends, I think, March 5th. Okay. It was going to end like in the middle of GDC, and then I decided that, that was probably a bad idea. <laughs> um, and so yeah, Crescent Loom is a game about weaving neurons and making these like floppy creatures and exploring an alien ocean. The alien ocean. Yeah. Nice. It's a good tagline. Your elevator pitch is good. <laughs> cool. Well, go check it out. And um, so, Wick, thanks again for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Good chatting with you. And uh, yeah, hope to talk to you soon. Great.